She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I don't want to see images of kids being hit with tear gas and, and you know, women and people running from that. No one likes those images. He doesn't use tear gas in, in the Trump administration, uh, but a fraction of the number of times that the Obama administration used it, because uh, he's much more soft-hearted than uh, President Obama and his administration. But, uh, and yes, I said that with a straight face, because they don't use tear gas as much as Obama did. The House has the president's $5 billion in the wall. As you know, this takes 60 votes in the Senate. Therefore, Senate Democrats have a say-so in appropriation matters. I haven't done anything illegal. I've been targeted one reason and one reason only. I'm loyal to the president of the United States. I strongly supported his election. It's completely rigged and it's politically driven by Clinton yeah. operatives who have an agenda. And if you can't give them, Roger's right, if you can't give them what they're looking for to fill their narrative, they blow you off and charge you with a crime. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. We have a fantastic lineup for you today. We're going to be speaking to Maj Touré, Black Guns Matter founder, and he's going to talk to us about how the NRA just isn't only a group for white people, which is what the liberals have been so successful in kind of convincing some American. So we're going to talk to him about that and also his national program that he's running where he goes around the country and gives people the opportunity to shoot guns in a range, in a safe environment with trainers and people around to help. And they get to go for free. So we're going to talk to him about that. We are also going to be delving into a little bit of a, it's, it's time to start thinking about what will the Democrats do when they take control of the House. And it's looking more and more likely. It's pretty much assured that Nancy Pelosi will be the Speaker of the House again. And when she takes the gavel back, she has promised that there will be no talk of impeachment. But she hasn't said there won't be any investigations, what the Democrats love to uh, softly refer to as oversight. So we're going to see uh, how that cracks out. But we're going to talk a little bit about that. Emmanuel Cleaver has had some words about it. And we're also going to be going into uh, we're going to talk about the greatest journey uh, the greatest journey is a it's an outreach effort by Samaritan's Purse and this is the second part of what happens after a child receives the Operation Christmas Child shoebox gift so after that many children are invited back to participate in the discipleship program called the greatest journey and through the 12 lesson course which includes Bible studies scripture Bible stories scripture memorization and and really it's discipleship they learn how to follow Christ in their daily lives as they share him with their friends and family and so this follow-up discipleship program in over 90 countries helps equip the local church to help children learn about Christ's love and teaches them who Jesus Christ is. So $6 provides the Bible Study Discipleship Program for one child. Help us to reach 10,000 children with the gospel. On Wednesday, December 5th, we'll give you an opportunity to donate to provide this scripture-based curriculum. This begins December 5th, which happens to be my dad's birthday. Um, so we're going to be talking to you more about that, but I just want to set you up to be primed and prepped to help us here at AFR to achieve our goals with this ministry. And we are also going to be talking about U.S. life expectancy falling even further. And this is something that a lot of people just shrug it off because they're like, you know, it's hereditary. I look at my family. My grandparents live to be 90. My parents are, you know, in their late 70s and they're, they look, they're looking good for 90 and I should be looking good for 92. But the overall health of a nation is me measured in part by life expectancy. So we'll delve into that as well. Right now, I want to get into our daily confession. 
Uh, we're going to continue on a little bit with our discussion of what happens when a nation loses God's blessing. So we're back in Judges 2, uh, 16 through 22. And remember, we, we already talked a little bit about how we can determine what we can do. We, we have to actually stop and think, what can I do to turn the tide? What can I do to bring more people to Christ? What can I do to have more people understand who God is and really trust him? through my life, my actions, my example, et cetera. So in Judges 2, 16 through 22, the word says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemy. As long as the judge lived, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they did keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. So... What are we to do to determine what we can do to help our nation not lose God's blessing? Well, the pattern that we discussed is the nation drifts from devotion to God and towards sin. And then people devote themselves to false concepts of God. They stop taking time for church. They Fewer people attend church. It even becomes a little stigmatized because you're going to see we're leading up to Christmas, the holiest time of the year besides Easter, and we... I I don't know about you, but I love Christmas, and it's so exciting to be in the Christmas spirit. And if you find yourself getting a little exhausted, my recommendation is to dial back some of the things you're planning on doing, some of the purchases you're planning on making, simplify your activities so you can actually enjoy the season. Because we get sucked into the cultural norm here in America, which is the biggest Christmas, the best Christmas, the most gifts, the, the most trees, the most decorations, the most parties, et cetera, et cetera. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things individually, but if they start to pile up on you and you feel like you can't celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, dial some of it back and you'll find yourself settling back into really enjoying the Christmas spirit. And so we're going to see the Freedom From Religion Foundation start to put up billboards and start to do all kinds of crazy stuff to try to convince people that Christmas is fake, that Christmas isn't something that we should really celebrate, that Christmas isn't, um, it's, it's something for the past. It's nostalgic. It's not real. And don't certainly don't go to church. And what we church-going folks are trying to do is the opposite. We're trying to get people to come to church for a special program or a play or something that, that, that can draw them in and give them some hot cocoa and a warm embrace and let them hear the gospel for the first time. And so our enemy is real and he's out there and he's got helpers. So what, what do we do? Well, we have to be genuinely devout. So how do we see God, this process where a nation turns from sin, and then what does God do? Well, after so many years of a nation kind of, you know, putting up their little hand against God and saying, no, I, you know, you got to stay in the, in the dark recesses. You can't be in public. We're not going to serve you. Then first God abandons the nation. Romans 1, 24 through 28 says, therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would become dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire for one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. So God basically says, hey, if you don't want me and I've been hanging around kind of still blessing you on the slide, but you just, you know, you you really don't want me here. I'm going to back off a little bit and let you have exactly what you're pushing for. I'm going to give you what you want, which is none of me. He pulls his blessing back, his anointing back. And this is what we see now going on in our culture. We see a lot of people, even Christians, even devout church-going folk who read their Bible, some even who attend Bible studies, who are truly deceived by this cultural normatization of sexual sin and perversion and of the breakdown of the family and of the elevation of government as our God. And all manner of sins are no longer called evil. They're called choices. They're called lifestyles. They're called um, something you need to tolerate. They're called protected classes because they enshrine protection for those sinful behaviors into the government so that even in your own personal religious freedom that you have constitutional guarantees of, you can't say anything bad about what they're doing. So how long before God washes his hands of us? How long before he says, you know what? Go ahead, America, do what you're going to do. Well, I don't I don't know. But we are a nation founded on a belief in God, founded on religious freedom, one nation under God on our money and in our Pledge of Allegiance. And we can see where we are on this progression because the next step is that after God pulls back, he doesn't pull all the way back, but he pulls back. And then we begin to experience trouble and oppression and punishment. And that's what we're seeing, uh, the the ongoing onslaught at our southern border, the rise of homegrown and domestic terrorism in our country. The influx of third world refugees coming in and not being assimilated in the, into our, our culture and the waste that we see in our government where we borrow 40 cents on every dollar and give billions of dollars to every nation on the globe, even those that are run by terroristic despots, we throw our treasure before swine. So the punishment is discussed in Judges 2, 11 through 15, and it says, then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the balls. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods among the gods of the peoples who were around them. They bowed themselves down to them. Thus, they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Now, certainly... We don't have a problem here in America standing before our enemies. We got troops all over the globe. We have a powerful military. But we do have our intellectual property and our ideas and our actual treasure being stolen from us by major international players like China. And that stealing, that theft, is it's not accidental. It's not just something that's happening outside of all of this. this. This is a part of the punishment. So... What has replaced the devotion to God in the United States? If you ask someone on the street, if you ask a ton of people, if you poll a ton of people, as the Barna Group does, what do they say about God? Who is Christ? Many, many Americans claim Christianity. Over 80% of Americans will say, yes, I'm a Christian. But what they mean is, I'm a Christian as in I'm not 
a Muslim or I'm not Jewish or I'm not that they're they're basically making a declaration to kind of ward off the other designations. When you start to talk about practicing Christianity, reading the Bible, attending Bible studies, going to church every weekend of the month, going to church outside of the Sunday service, then the numbers begin to tell a much different story. So when we lose the help of Almighty God, we have trouble with families, with nations, with politics. We have strife. We have anger. We have leaders who lack wisdom, leaders who lack fortitude, leaders who say one thing to get elected and then do another immediately. Um, We lose battles. We don't win and we aren't victorious on the battlefield. We have diseases that come in like this. It's some kind of um, it's some kind of disease that's hitting children and teenagers across the country, outbreaks where the kids are becoming paralyzed and they don't know what it's coming from and they can't figure out what's going on. Um, and so we don't want God to wash his hands of America. We're talking about the loss of millions of American souls, souls that will be eternally separated from God and abandoned to hell. And we also can expect war, famine, destitution, oppression. And this is what we want to avoid. Now, I know, obviously, we, we are expecting in the Great Tribulation, you know, when, when the Lord's return, there will be famine and destruction and punishment, and, and the Great Tribulation is not going to be anything close to what we're used to here in America because we're very, 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 very blessed. But since we don't know the time or the hour, why are we not working towards making sure that our country does not lose God's favor by serving him to the utmost of our ability? We have a call on our lives as Christians. We are the arrows that have been loosed from the mark. God expects us to hit that mark. He didn't let us fly for nothing. We're not out there just whizzing around for our own benefit. We have a job to do for Jesus Christ and for the kingdom. And so I'm encouraging you. We have to cry out for help and for repentance. We have to repent and intercede on behalf of those who do not know Jesus Christ and for our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are being led astray. The Bible says that God's eyes continually rove throughout the earth, searching for a man he can show, a righteous man he can show himself strong in. He also says that when we cry, he is faithful and he immediately will come to our rescue. Let's cry out to him in repentance for this nation. We'll be back with Maj Torre right after this. Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use the multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry Products were developed by AFA supporters Len Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. 
visit redeemclean.afastore.net. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I'll never forget the time my youngest daughter, Holly, told me that she and her friends had a discussion about hell. They were talking about the sufferings of hell and how final things were. She said what struck her was the realization that when death comes, there are no more opportunities to come to Christ. It really gripped her heart. I listened to her as we were driving along, and this 16-year-old daughter of mine was pouring out her heart, sharing the urgency of the hour. How important it is to share the gospel right now. As she ended her observations, I said to her, Sweetheart, that's right. And that's why Dad does what he does. And that's why your brother Brian does what he does. Apart from this life, after it's over, it's really over. There are no more opportunities, no more chances to trust Christ. In John chapter 12, Jesus is closing out his public ministry. He's getting ready to face the cross and he's retreating from the crowd and he gets one more opportunity for the people to hear him. Listen to John chapter 12, verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. In other words, Jesus cried out, I want to tell you one more time and give you one more chance. If you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. I want to call you out of yourself and I I want you to be sure that you know him. Here's what I want you to remember today. What about you? Yeah, you. Stop and, and just pause for a second. What about you? If you're not sure you're a Christian, please don't procrastinate. Don't, don't put it off another day. Tomorrow really is not promised to you. Stop what you're doing this very moment and give your life to Christ. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Join Crawford tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome to the program. All right, we are still working on our guest, and so I want to open up the phone lines and give you some time to call in, and we also have a bit of audio for you from law professor Jonathan Turley predicting that the Mueller investigative probe will actually wrap up by the end of this year. And of course, he's pointing to political considerations that are going to be the reason why this happens. Now, I like his line of thought here, not because he's saying that it's going to wrap up, but because he's actually explaining it in a way that uh, makes logical sense. Why would the probe last beyond the end of the year uh, into the new Congress? Why would uh, Mueller, you know, kind of jeopardize his standing as someone who, you know, by some quarters is seen as a, uh, you know, a, an impartial investigator, someone who still has integrity. Um, and and I know that's that's not exactly how I view him, but mainstream wise, that's what's often said about him. And he jeopardizes that by making the probe last any longer than uh, the current the current session and and two years of probing. I mean, come on, how much more does the American people, how much more do we require? Um, So call lines are open at 866-963-2037-866-963-2037. And uh, let's listen to law professor Jonathan Turley. It's number five. 
The problem Mueller has <laughs> is that if the narrative is that some Trump associates wanted the WikiLeaks information, that's not enough. It's not a crime. I mean, Clinton's people went to Russia to find dirt on Trump. That happens in politics. So he's got to ha have some foundation for a criminal act to make this narrative plausible. The president is right. There isn't any evidence thus far of collusion reaching him or, or even reaching the tops of his campaign. But this investigation is going to be completed. And quite frankly, it's in the president's interest to have it completed, have these facts come out, if what he said in these written answers are true, that there isn't any evidence that he was involved in any collusion. I think yeah. that Mueller is looking at the end of the year to start, try to wrap things up. It makes sense to issue at least one report before the year end. If he waits until Congress comes in, it looks like he's feeding material to the Democrats. So it would be better for him to get out a report before the end of the year. So it is better. It's it's not just better. It's it, it's the best thing to do. I actually thought when we came out of the midterms um, that there would be like he would make an announcement. The report is is forthcoming. And then we would see it, you know, in like within a week of the midterm elections. And I know there have been some really interesting developments with runoffs and everything. And we're finally coming to the, the final close. We have a final tally of of who won and who lost, et cetera, et cetera. And it's been a little volatile, but is, is there no end to it is the question. Like, at what point does he say, I don't think I'm going to continue on with this because I'm an American and I have an interest in justice. But what we're seeing in the media is that a lot of people, especially Cohen and Jerome Corsi and others are saying that they're being strong armed. They're being, they're having their arms twisted. They're being told, look, you're going to say what we want you to say because we need to get some convictions going here. That doesn't sound like the blind lady justice that all of us are hoping and expecting is the true representation of our justice system, especially at this level. Uh, so that brings me to, we have uh, this, it, it's like, it's connected, it's kind of not connected, but it's, it's an interesting development because as you know, the negotiations between the United States and Mexico on the trade deal, remember it was Canada, Mexico, and the United States, but President Trump kind of truncated it and broke it off into two separate pieces so that he could get the leverage that he needed. And it was a, a very wise strategy. Tactically, it was very efficient because it decoupled this idea that the two of them could kind of communicate behind doors. Now, well, I'm getting this. Well, I'm getting that. Well, ask for this, ask for that. They can still talk, but since they're not linked together in a the, the three countries negotiating at the same time, it made it much easier for President Trump to communicate with Mexico using our leverage that we have with them, which is entirely different from the relationship and amount of leverage that we have with Canada. Canada is a developed nation. Mexico, well, you know. So this is an interesting thing because it also coincided, uh, the, the close of these negotiations for what used to be NAFTA uh, also coincided with um, the election of a new president for Mexico. So you have Mexico making an announcement that they're going to award the nation's highest honor to Jared Kushner for his efforts around the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. And um, so... We're going to get into that uh, in more depth in the next segment. But right now, I want to go to our guest. Um, we have Maj Touré. He is the Black Guns Matter founder. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, what's up? Thank you all for having me. Sure. So let's talk about you, the, the work that you do across the country. Um, you have something called the Black Guns Matter 
group and you use it to host free firearm and conflict resolution training for urban communities across the country. What made you start this up? Well, one, we just, you know, traveling the country before this making music, you know, and being in certain metropolises, you see the same issue. You know, a guy has a possession charge, not that he was robbing a bank, not that he was, you know, trying to, you know, steal from people, but he just had a firearm and didn't know, you know, okay, in order to carry this quote unquote lawfully, I have to fill out this paperwork. You know, a lot of those guys bought those firearms in gun stores because they weren't criminals. They didn't have a background, you know, a negative background. Um, And seeing that, it's like, okay, this is something that we can solve with a little bit of information. So we started, you know, our GoFundMe, shameless plug, GoFundMe.com forward slash Black Guns Matter. Um, And what we did was we wanted to make sure that everyone could get the information, you know, relevant to their locality or their municipality in regards to firearms, how to do it safe and responsibly. Uh, we started to go fund me. We initially had 13 cities. We ran through those. Then we started a, uh, you know, a nationwide, nationwide tour, and the classes are completely free to everybody. Culturally relevant uh, information around the Second Amendment, firearms, conflict resolution, and de-escalation. And it's been, you know, a, a wonderful roller coaster ride. So you have been, and, and I've seen you in a lot of different places that I know well, NRA, mm-hmm. things like that where you're Mm -hmm. connecting and intersecting with different groups, but you're a standalone Mm -hmm. organization. You're not, you're not a part of the NRA officially. You're not a part of any other organization that's already in existence. And your purpose is specifically geared towards urban communities. What has the reception been to that? The reception has been amazing um, because of the fact that we are independent as well as uh, we, we work with groups and I have friends that, you know, that are very anti-NRA and friends that, you know, respect that I'm, you know, I'm an NRA member and so forth and so on. I'm also on the board of, you know, the Second Amendment Institute. So we're willing to work. The beauty of that is the reception that we get is good because everyone sees that we're not, you know, somebody's not in our pocket. We're not somebody's puppet. We can speak about whatever issues we choose to. Um, We don't have to wait a bunch of times. We don't have, a you know, a huge board of directors. So um, the reception that we get is great because it's genuine. And uh, even though we're a Second Amendment organization, we deal with serious issues that, again, culture. For example, we're working with Walk the Talk U.S. and dealing with uh, getting the Second Amendment community to tackle this mental health issue so we police our own. So the reception has been good because our, our intent has been pure and our follow-through has been, you know, solid. And um, we, we love the fact that we're able to work with, any and everybody, and we're beholden, you know, to the people that, you know, support us. So, you know, and what I mean by that is the people that donate, the people that say, hey, man, we want you to come to our town. So the reception is wonderful. I love it because it's organic and it's natural and it's geared towards a community that originally was more gun owning, more more lawfully gun owning. And I, I've i never been to the gun range, Maj, and not seen other black people there. I'm never the only right. black person at the gun range. So I really right. truly believe that many, many black Americans own firearms lawfully and are really proficient at them. But the perception is that owning guns and having them and concealed carry especially and being a proponent of the Second Amendment is something for white people. And I think it's ridiculous yeah. because it, it's a total lie um, I want to I want to highlight your Black Guns Matter tours travel to urban communities, Chicago, Baltimore, Atlanta, Houston, Compton, Oakland, Miami, Phoenix, St. Paul, Minneapolis, Detroit, New Orleans, Grand Rapids, Nashville, Memphis, Wilmington. I believe you've been to St. Louis. I was out of town in Tupelo with my syndicator doing a, a, a conference the weekend you were here. 
Um, this yep. is a, a comprehensive program that you're executing. And you used to do something else. Like you were in music. You were in the music industry. But now this is your life's work. Yeah, because music, I think I'm actually going to work on another project because my experiences in seeing this over the last few years across the country has given me a lot to talk about mm-hmm. um, and solutions to present. But um, that was, you know, it's just still another passion for me. But you can't really, you know, being in the community, the hip hop community, it's like, okay, everybody got guns. All the, everywhere in urban America is guns. But there's information missing. And I'm seeing the setup and the mind control to make sure that it's specifically young black men are uh, getting caught with firearms, going to jail, not focusing on conflict resolution, you know, unnecessary shooting. They're, they're co-opting hip-hop to make it look as if that's what the culture is, and it's not. It never was, you know. And when I say they, I know that's like this mysterious thing, but, <laughs> you know, there's a, vested, there's a vested interest. You know, crime and jails make money. You know, so for me, I just choose, you know, I don't have stock in, you know, a prison industrial complex. I choose to uh, make sure that people, especially in urban areas, are focusing on the conversation around freedom. I want you to do your freedom thing. I don't. I. I, I never seen it inside. I never did no time in jail. I'm never going to see that. I'm going to be free forever. That's not cool. Whoever told you it was the spot on whatever TV show or movie that had an urban spin to it, they lying. All of my f- same thing. Like it is not the spot. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, it, it just shows that there's a way that we can intersect and redirect, you know, some of the negative portions of different cultures or our own cultures, as well as, um, you know, not not pretend to, to be something that we're not. I'm an urban dude, you know, I'm, I'm a high school dropout, but I'm well-informed, you know, and that, that resonates, and that, that translates beyond a particular race. Urban could be black, Spanish, white, doesn't matter. If you're an urban member or a member of the hood across America, whether that hood is suburban or rural, you've been, you know, successfully duped uh, for the most part into not exercising your human rights to self-defense via the Second Amendment, you know, and it's just our job to make sure that we're, we're presenting cultures that are um, that are honest and, and genu- genuinely uh, leaning our demographic into the conversation and the actions around freedom and liberty. Okay, so I'm loving this, and I think a lot of people in the listening audience are really, like, you know, it kind of blows you away. The first time I saw one of your online, so a, a basically a video of one of your presentations, I was like, whoa, this is, this is so different because you're not really talking politics. You're talking the very basics of being able to live in America. We have rights. We have the ability to exercise those rights. But if we're not informed, we don't know that we need a permit to carry a firearm, then we're going to actually get in trouble and end up incarcerated for something that is our natural right to do. And I, I just don't see people talking about that the way that you have. And so I really commend you for that. And I think the work that you're doing is so important. But I want to pivot over. We just have a couple minutes left here. And I want to get your opinion on what next steps are for the gun community after this shooting um, in Alabama. You have this good guy with a gun who happens to be black and he shoots. Well, I, I don't know that he shot the guy. There was a shooting and he intervened to save lives and had the perpetrator down and the police arrived and without asking any questions, shot him and killed him. Didn't wound him, but killed him. And this was like a really great kid, not Mm-hmm. Not some person who was, you know, previously in trouble with the law and was out on parole and had a gun illegally. He was a lawful gun owner 
acting in the mm-hmm. role of good guy with a gun, which I, I talk about this all the time, Maj. I, don't, I go on NRA TV and talk about it. I've talked about it at rallies and, and you name it. I've written about it. And I'm always saying that the good guy with the gun, he's the first responder before the police get there. But this right. just blows that out of the water. Talk to us about where we go from here. So it's, I actually tweeted about this earlier today. Um, it's two things, and I'm going to get beat up and love on both sides of these, these, these positions. One, um, the, the, the individual that you're talking about in the one case in the Alabama mall shooting, um, he had his firearm out, but he was moving people to safety, and he never returned fire on anyone. That's what, you know, the reports that I've, I've received so far. Okay. The problem there is, in a chaotic situation, you have to take control of the scenario and communicate very effectively. There is lack, a lack of training on the citizen part and what you do in the defensive gun usage situation, how you communicate, how you're communicating with, you know, dispatch to let them know, hey, I'm the good guy with a firearm. My description is X, Y, Z. To my knowledge so far, based on the limited information that I have, that was not done. As a law enforcement officer, their training is not, is not reflective of the millions upon millions of new CCW carriers uh, there are across the nation. Their conditioning or, or training tells them that if the person is not in uniform and they are not law enforcement, they're potentially the threat. The problem there is training does not reflect the good guy with the gun. It's outdated. The solution for those scenarios is training. So you know that even if it's a defensive gun usage in your home, hey, there's been a shooting at whatever address. I'm the good guy. Uh, I am wearing X, Y, Z police and ambulance, bam, that's the end of the discussion. You are not out there with your firearm when law enforcement, you know, shows up mm-hmm. when the threat is down. Mm-hmm. That's a training, that's a missing in training and education. Uh, again, back to the officers. I think the officers are in chaotic situations, um, especially that Alabama mall shooting. I think that they, you know, they qualify in most departments. Their qualifications are only once a year on paper targets. And that does not necessarily reflect a real-life shooting scenario. Um, And I think, you know, it's chaos. And if both people do not have that level of training, I'm the officer that the media has told me there's a a mass shooting every week, which is not true. Uh, My adrenaline is up. And if I'm going to revert to my lowest level of training, and that training is anybody that's not with me that has a gun is going to be the bad guy. I'm shooting. That officer has to live with that homicide for the rest of his life or her life. Now, that doesn't mean that it was malicious. Mm. It just means that they still took a life. Um, mm. Same thing, you know, we can tie that all the way back into Philando Castile. Well, we're we're that, running out of time, but uh, you know what I'm I'd sorry. love to do? If you have time, can you hold over so you can finish that thought about Orlando Castile? Because I'm, I'm, sure, I want to hear that. So let me, let me put you on hold. We have Maj Torre of Black Guns Matter. He's the founder. He's going to hold over the break and be back with us after these messages. Stacy on the right. We'll return in just a moment. Keep it here. it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Chuck Noll was an extraordinary coach and catalyst for the Pittsburgh Steelers, leading them to four Super Bowl wins in just six years. But he was never voted coach of the year. And that's just the way Coach Noll wanted it. 
never taking credit for success, but rather giving the credit to his players. People who can lead effectively and successfully, whether on the football field or in any career field, are a dime a dozen. But leaders who are willing to place the focus somewhere else other than themselves are truly unique. True success comes in how you lead others, not in the recognition and rewards that you receive. New York Times best-selling author Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. American Family Radio. Samaritan's Purse. And your family. Together, we can bring good news and great joy to needy children. Simply pack an Operation Christmas Child shoebox with toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. Then drop off your shoebox gift during National Collection Week. Visit AFR.net, click the Operation Christmas Child banner, and then get packing. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Donald Trump's America. Calling China's response to President Trump's trade demands disappointing and unsatisfactory, the president's top economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, said the president is still open to a trade deal with Chinese President Xi at the upcoming G20 summit in Argentina. In his view, there is a good possibility that a deal can be made and that he is open to that. He is open to that. But Kudlow also said there are still issues that need to be worked out. Issues of intellectual property theft must be solved. Forced technology transfers must be solved. Significant tariffs and non-tariff barriers must be solved. Kudlow said the U.S. is in far better shape to weather a trade war than the Chinese are, inferring the Chinese are anxious to get a deal done. At the White House, John Decker, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. It is Thursday or Friday Eve, as I like to call it. Um, and so I've been having a really it's informative and it's exactly what we need right now in light of what's going on in our country discussion with the founder of black guns matter Maj Torre. Um, Maj, thank you so much for holding over the break to continue our discussion. Uh, super important information that you're sharing and we need not just your perspective, but your expertise here because there's so much going on and Americans are really at a loss because I'm, I'm a huge proponent of law enforcement. My dad's in law enforcement carries the gun and the badge every day but then there's also the issue of, you know, and my dad and I have talked about this. There are situations in which the police, due to their training, are reacting in ways that are causing issues in, in communities. And without being anti-police, 
we can have these discussions. We can talk about training. We can talk about the new reality, which is that so many millions more Americans are actually carrying concealed and that we do have these numbers from the CDC that were hidden from us but are now known about defensive gun use. We're talking about millions of times a year. So this is a good thing. We want to have defensive gun use be high and crime be low, but we need to improve these interactions. Now, you mentioned uh, Orlando Castile. Um, Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so Mr. Castillo, first I want to say rest in peace to him, uh, respect and love to his friends and family members. After that verdict came out, we did a class in Minneapolis-St. Paul um, just because we knew tensions were going to be high and people were going to need information and not emotionalism. Uh, so in that scenario, and again, I, I got beat up a little bit because the reality is, is Minnesota is not a duty to notify state, meaning if you have a firearm, you have no legal obligation in a routine traffic stop or anything to notify that law enforcement officer. And the reason for that is, you know, unfortunately, of why he was murdered. You you happen to run into an officer who is not aware or is biased, because that's what I think happened with Officer Yanez. Um, What happened here is you are biased and you hear someone say, I have a gun, and you get nervous because you're you're not trained very well. Um, So that's, 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 in essence, what happened. Uh, now, if I'm Mr. Castillo, and I know that, if I know that, if I know that Minnesota is not a duty to notify state, right, mm-hmm. I don't tell the officer. I hand him my license for whatever the thing is my reason for the pullover, and we move on about our merry way. Um, those are the things that, you know, people need to know. That situation goes totally different. Even if that officer had a bias, there's no reason to trigger the bias. There's no reason to trigger the bias because there's no conversation about a firearm. So all of those things are, uh, you know, basically good information that people need to have in order to, you know, make a decision. And those are the things that, you know, it's not that that doesn't necessarily like on the range training. That's just law and how you handle yourself and how you de-escalate based on the rules, you know, of the particular state that you're in. What I'm also seeing is because that information is missing and, you know, it's highlighted the, the negative portions of what, the, the, you know, the reaction happened. You have things like, you know, people like Trevor Noah saying like, yeah, the Second Amendment is absolutely not for black people. <laughs> and that's the most racist thing on earth. And I know that he's coming from, a, a you know, a, a, a victim or fear based thought process. But that's he's not, not even an American. See, my problem with and him that, is that, that he's, you know, he speaks to our cultural norms and what, what we have going on here in America, but he's not an American. He, did, he wasn't born here. And Maj, you know, just as well as I do, um, you know, there, there are so many slogans about it, but I'll just keep it direct. He, he doesn't have the same blood or attitude that we have. He's not one of us. Yeah. Now, he can live here and he can do a show and I, he's a, it's all good for him. He's free to do as he pleases and move about the country. But his commentary is so far off the mark because he doesn't understand American culture and what our rights are. He's just like now, he's like a, a I snowflake. Think, I think that he, he is he is snowflaking a bit, but I think that there's an opportunity there. You know, I, I tweeted him today, and if the listeners want to, you know, tweet, retweet it or whatever, they can follow me or whatever. But to me, it's like, listen, you're saying that you're willing to have conversations and be open with anyone. You've made a statement that black Americans, the Second Amendment isn't for us. So the idea there is, okay, so we leave the firearms up to law enforcement, but on the double down, you're saying, oh, but law enforcement are killing 
so don't have a gun. If we're getting killed if we unarmed, so just go peacefully to death? No, the reality of the situation is this. There's education, training, and information missing on all sides. And I would be open to have that conversation with him unless unless it's just a soundbite for him. Now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like Brad Pitt in the movie 7. I, I'm still, you know, hope, hope, maybe hopelessly, but still optimistic. You know, a lot of my older trainer friends are like, yeah, it's done for him. Like, it's over. You know, but the reality is I think he's a great teachable moment. Because, no, like you said earlier, black people in America have a long and storied rich history with firearms. We fought in every major war. Mm-hmm. We are the reason for gun control in the first place. All gun control is racist. So who better than to have a stake in making sure that that history and that, tr- you know, that information and that tradition is kept on than black Americans? Mm. I'm tweeting him now. You should have Maj on. He has this. He has this <laughs> Let's see um, how this works out. He's, yeah, he's yeah. He has this thing. <laughs> So did you see my father's solutionaries today so far? Okay, well, have you seen he's got some contests going on where you can go on his show as a guest, but you have to you 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 apply to go in the audience, and then in the audience he interviews you. Why? What? What better for him to be informed? Because you know, to me, and no shade, I've been on Tommy Laren's show back when she had a show on the Blaze. You know, she's been on my program, and no shade against Tommy Laren, but he's had Tommy Laren on, right? How much better would it be to have someone who's an expert in the subject matter on to discuss this? Because like while while you were talking, I just Googled just to check because I have some I have some firearm training um, and I'm concealed carry certified, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't remember what my instructor told me about the duty to inform. And there's certain things you can do to let a Missouri police officer or a state trooper know that you're concealed carry certified. You can put your hands on the steering wheel in a certain way and they're supposed to know that. But if the officer who stops you doesn't know that. You do not in Missouri have a duty to notify them that you're carrying concealed. You only have to have your concealed carry permit and your state issued ID on you with the firearm. And if you're being pulled over for a traffic stop, you don't have to tell them anything. Now, I don't know whether or not they have in the database when they pull your driver's license, they pull up your car, you know, your tag and they pulled you over. If they then have access to a database that tells them this person has a CCW, I don't even know if that's in existence. But I do know it's not smart to run around like, you know, you've just interacted with this person. You've just rolled your window down and you say, yeah, I got a gun. That's not a, that's not the best way to approach it. And I, I, you know, I just feel like he it's a useless death. And it was used by the left as a marketing opportunity. You know, they were dancing on his grave to use it as a, a way to say black people, you know, gun ownership isn't for you when nothing could be further from the truth. Right. And that's and that was the play. That's the part where I go, okay, y'all, y'all, y'all are using it's, it's the Bloomberg or whoever that was that said let no tragedy go unused. And it's like, listen, you know, there's tragedies, no doubt, but these are these are humans. These are humans, and I, and I get, you know, you got an agenda and all these other different things. I have an agenda. My agenda is to save lives while respecting our human and natural rights via the Second Amendment and other rights. You know. Um, and, and, and there is that thing there. And so I'm no, it's no different than when I go, you know, check my gun in at the airport. I don't walk up to the counter and go, yo, I got a gun. I have, I have a firearm to declare. Again, we tie in all this back into education and information. Our classes, because we are so entry level, it's not about, yeah, this is his force on force training. We're dealing with people that don't even know that you can lawfully have a firearm. The left has done an extremely good job of convincing urban America that if you have a gun, you must be the bad guy or you got to be law enforcement or you must have been in the military. You can't be 
of stand-up citizens that wants to respect life, protect life, love your friends and family, or you just want to be involved in the shooting sports or using firearms for investment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are things that we have to push culturally. Our next wave of Black Guns Matter classes are centered around, yes, we're going to have the firearm safety and all of that, but we have to break some of those social misnomers and taboos. Our new structure of class is around conversation, uh, conflict resolution, and de-escalation as a highlight. You can't, you know, uh, get people to be armed and responsible firearms owners if they're still basing their choices off of incorrect information and fear that if they have a firearm, they're going to die because they're black. Now, are mm-hmm. there some officers like, the, you know, the guy that a year or so just happened in Milwaukee, the footage just came out last week, are there officers that are killing black men? Yes, absolutely. Yes. That, that, that is a real thing. That is the definition of tyranny. But the thing to that is, what I, what I love about some of my white followers is they understand that that's tyranny on both sides, whether you're white, black, Spanish, Asian, right, left. Tyranny doesn't care. And as long as we remain uninformed on our civics, on our you know, human rights and things of that nature, tyranny is going to continue. Now, they'll keep us boxed into these racial paradigms so we don't work together, but that's to their benefit and to our detriment. So all of these things that you're saying are extremely accurate. You know, I did Tommy Laren's show a few years ago as well. Everybody told me not to do it. It was one of the best shows I ever did. It was. It, it was awesome. Point. We disagreed yeah. on others. I, I I really wish that she could have stayed where she was. I under I, I I get it. I get you know she she made wrong comments about abortion, and I totally disagreed with her on them. I thought they were so uninformed. But she is in her twenties, and when I was in my twenties, I was a liberal, voting for Bill Clinton, and you know running around doing whatever I thought was right as a liberal. And now here I am. I'm so far on the right that you know they a few places are actually calling me. Uh, I forget what what it is. it's like a little designation they give you if you're uh, part oh, of oh, a hate group. Oh, they call you with the identity extremist. Right. Yeah. And and you know, I it's all good. I, I when I have enemies like that, I know I'm right over the target. I'm I'm good to go. I'm not hurt. But it's it's just interesting to see. I hope the Fox Nation thing takes off and she can get some of that back with interviewing people like yourself to get that information out there because the platform for her is still huge and we still have so many people out there who need to be reached with the message that you're sharing. Um, I commend you for it. I think it's really hard work that you're doing. And, you know, it's fun. I know you have a lot of fun, um, but yeah. you also get tr- you get flack from both sides. You know, you make statements yeah. like there are cops out there who you, there's there's bad people in every profession. I've gotten in trouble right. for saying that. But it's the truth. You there are bad people in every profession. There are bad doctors, bad lawyers. There are yep. bad radio hosts, you know, so they're going to be bad cops, too. But it, saying that doesn't mean I'm against police. It means Correct. that I'm acknowledging the realities. And um, I just I hope and pray that people remember that you're you know, funded by the GoFundMe and you need to keep that that keep that rolling in order to do these things. And if the training just continues to grow, I hope you explode. I hope dude has you on the show. Uh, the South African dude. I hope he has you on his program so we can have some truth on there for a few minutes. And we, I hope hey, you'll we, come we, back we to have us. To fly to South Africa. I'm going to South Africa <laughs> next month. We can have he a conversation should, over there, brother. Yeah, he should go back with you so he can visit his mom because his new documentary is about <laughs> his, him being the son of Patricia. So y'all could chat about that. You could chat about guns. Right. I'm serious. I think it's it's better for Trevor Noah if he wants to understand American culture, why not? Why not see all sides of it instead of just the leftist perspective? Um, right. c- keep growing that army, Maj. It's good work that you're doing. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me.
All right. Talk to you again soon. Uh, that's Maj Touré. You can find him at Maj Touré on Twitter. I just tweeted him. If you want to go the easy route, just go to my Twitter feed and you can see where I tweeted him and Trevor Noah. You can retweet that. And that would be fantastic because we hope that they'll get some traction on that, uh, that idea. And it's not so much that I care about uh, Trevor Noah at all. I don't watch his show. I've watched a few clips, but he's, he's a leftist. My deal with him is that he has this huge audience and a lot of his audience are younger because that's the demographic that he's geared towards. He's young and the people that he speaks to are younger. And I mean these 20 and 30 year olds. And what, what is so fascinating about that is these are people who really they're kind of rah, rah, and they're just, they support him because they love his show and they love how he snaps people and all that. But if he were to present a nugget of truth to them, they would wait, hold up put a pin in it, pause it, hit the pause button. What did he just say? And they would listen. And he has enough credibility with his audience that if he presented some truth like what Maj Torre just shared, it would be an opportunity for those listeners to be informed. And Trevor Noah does not have to become a Republican or a conservative or a right winger or a Christian in order to have Maj Torre on the show and have a good program. It would give him a lot more credibility with those of us who really see him as some kind of performer as opposed to an informer. And you know, we can always keep hope alive, right? Nothing is impossible with God. So hopefully <laughs> we'll start something special and we'll see Maj Touré on his program. That would just be so great. Um, so now we have one minute left. So we're going to hold over some of this content for later on. But I want to make sure um, that I close out this little bit. I started it about Mexico awarding the nation's highest honor to Jared Kushner for his efforts around the USMCA trade negotiations. So Kushner is going to receive the prize for his contributions, contributions to achieve the negotiation of the new United States, Mexico, Canada agreement, according to a statement by Mexico's foreign relations secretariat. Now Pena Nieto will present Kushner the award today at the group of 20 summit in Argentina. His participation was a determinant factor to start the process of renegotiation of NAFTA, avoiding a unilateral exit by the United States from said treaty, and his constant and effective involvement was key in achieving a successful close of negotiations. So it's likely to be Peña Nieto's last major act as president, and he's going to hand over power to President-elect Andres Manuel López Obrador on Saturday. So it's good stuff. Why am I excited about it? Because it's the agreement that they've created that I think is going to be so good for America. Notice I said America. Beans on anybody else. I, you know, if you get something good out of it, good. But if it's good for us, I'm all about it. All right. I hear the music. Good afternoon from the heartland. If you're sticking around, you have onenewsnow.com. News and information up next. And I'll be right back. <laughs> 